welcome to Architecture Talk Tang. I am Sara Colada, an architect and organizer of the Disrupt Symposium, the first of its kind business of architecture event, bringing to stage major architecture practices to cover topics related to entrepreneurship and practice operations within the AEC industry. I am an architecture business development consultant and my goal is to raise the financial well-being of architects through effortless business growth. Each podcast episode features an expert or thought leader from the AEC industry who shares their journey, challenges and advice. Now, let's dive into this episode and welcome our guest for an exclusive interview. Hello everybody, this is Sara Colata with Architecture Talk Tang and today I have Kevin Sherrod with me. Kevin and I, we connected on LinkedIn and he is working for Gensler, living in LA. And we're going to talk a little bit about his career and the different projects that he's involved with. So thank you so much, Kevin, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. It's, it's a pleasure, really. Oh, the, no, the pleasure, the pleasure is definitely mine. Right before we, we appeared live to a broader audience, we talked a little bit about your origins and how you come from California, from Philadelphia and moved to California. So tell me a little bit more about this and your journey as an architect. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, in 1999, I'd say it was, there was a high school and it had just opened up and it was a, it was a, a kind of, one of those kind of installations from the AIA, the Philadelphia chapter, where they were really trying to strengthen the pipeline to to get kind of minorities into the field of architecture as a way to the numbers and diversity, right? Because we've seen that they've been dismal at times or even still dismal. And so they created a high school and the, the sole intent of the high school was really to, to really get people access and education, right? And help them to identify the lens in which creative expression can be used going forward. So the school was primarily centered around the curriculum of architecture. So in high school, we had studios, right? And it's a weird kind of thing to think about studio in high school, but studio was not holistically architecture. There was fashion design and they were really trying to be as creative as they possibly could with the core lessons around centered around architecture. And so I actually was the first four year graduating class of that high school, which is the first in the United States. And my sense is that there's probably few and so that was my first introduction to architecture in high school. And needless to say, I hated everything about it because I was in high school. And you know, high school is one of those things where it feels like your entire life is consumed by the kind of social dynamics that happen while you're in school. And so two hours of studio, three hours of studio felt like an eternity at all times. And it was a daily thing. Needless to say, I re- 3000% to architecture. And I started to use my creative expression as a dancer. And I had been doing oh, so wow. after school and extracurricular activities. And I was dancing for a dance company in South Philadelphia at the time. And it led me to attending the University of the Arts for my first kind of go around at university as a dancer. And that was my major. So it's been, it's been one of those things where, you know, architecture in general has really just taught me 
the real identity of myself, which is creative expression, regardless to if it's physical, intellectual, or, you know, it, it's around the built environment. But suffice it to say, I, I hated everything about it. When I was in Philadelphia, I hated architecture for the sake of architecture. So interesting, actually. It, I, somehow to me, like both dance and architecture combines really well. In London, I went also to an art school studying architecture. So it wasn't very architectural. We had all this different intersection of other arts. And, you know, it opened my mind a lot as to how architecture and dance blend in. And I remember back in the day, there was beautiful performance of Anthony Gomley in London. And it was dancers dancing on almost like this, what do you call it? The, these walking sticks, you know, when you break your leg. Yeah. It was absolutely marvelous, this, you know, these bodies on these very long sticks, stilettos, I don't know how to call it, but they were climbing them and it was just beautiful. And then also their expression in space and how they arranged the whole stage. And we used to be encouraged by our, by our teachers to take a lot of inspiration from theater and the movement as well within space. So I think it's just, it's a really beautiful the way that these two things combine and i have a i'm really fond of dance actually i like to dance myself most on the ballet side of things training that in my free time as much as i can and i really love that also from this the aspect of how you can express yourself in a space but it sounds like you had quite a committed path into dance so what got you into fully committing to architecture too at some yeah sure i think for me it's always been about the idea of creative expression and how I use, you know, my faculties to be in service to that became the kind of the most, the thing that kind of resonated with me most. And, you know, you know, as you know, as a dancer and you're young, you feel invincible, but there becomes this day, like you, you mentioned when you're at the ballet bar where you recognize, you know, you're in constant struggle with yourself to better yourself. And it occurred to me all at once, is this something that I can keep up for 10, 15, 20, 30 years? And the answer, if I was being honest with myself, is it isn't. It's not something that I can keep up. I was in, you know, probably the, the greatest shape of my life. And that was because before dance, it was football. And it was one of those things that dance really started because I was trying to do rehabilitation for a football injury. It, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, it's just a systematic thing of me being able to express myself and deal in kind of a space of wellness that it promoted itself as dance and so I recognized as much and I can never say that I was unhappy dancing because it's where I've been at my best and I think if we check the tape we'll see that's probably where I was at my best in in terms of the grand scheme of my life you know it really became to me that I wanted to be in service to people in different ways and you know instantly said that I had to give up my scholarship because if I'm not dancing, that was what I was, I was being ushered through school doing. And if I didn't want to do that, I would have to find a way to pay for it on my own. And coming from an architecture and design charter high earlier in my, my high school, it left me in a weird space, not because I didn't have the kind of tools to be successful, but I didn't have it on paper, right? I had the creative tools you know, in my person. And, but it wasn't something that I was able to translate the paper. I wasn't able to tell the story of who I was on paper. I was only able to express it through my small faculties. Right. And so I wanted to go to a community college to be able to do as much to, to 
grow myself and get to a five year and, and do my graduate work. But financially, I couldn't do it. I'm from the inner city where, you know, we don't have access and opportunity in that way. And so creative expression taught me a lot about myself in that moment and how I needed to think differently about my educational track or path. And that's how I ended up in Los Angeles because I couldn't afford it. And so I needed to flip the game and figure out how I could play it differently. This is about creative expression at the end of the day, because it's about how do you creatively get to where you want to be in life, right? And this goes for, this is a larger landscape because it's not specific to architecture, right? As you can know, I've talked about football, dance, and architecture in one kind of creative kind of soliloquy, but it led me to Los Angeles. And when I got to Los Angeles, I think I had $20, $25 in my pocket. And it was literally just because I had that ballet training and that, that dance background, and I think it was important to be specific about the type of modern I was studying, it put me in a really interesting place because the distance between my school and my place of residence was 70 blocks, one direction. And so I used every bit of my energy and ability to walk that 70 blocks to educate myself at the local community college. The reason why I did that is because in Philadelphia, it costs you some $300 a unit right? And you need 12 to 12, 13 units to be successful and get your AA and graduate on time. But in Los Angeles, significantly different when you become a resident. It was at the time in between 20 and $25 a unit, which was way more palatable to someone who got off a plane with $20 in his pocket. So I worked as a personal trainer and I walked and walked to, to educate myself at, you know, at the local community colleges. And they wrapped their arms around me so much so that they allowed me to really be available to the architectural experience in that way. I use programs and different kinds of services for people who just didn't have a way to make ends meet. And that's really how I, I got through my community college work. And then it, it transitioned to me going to SciArc. And from SciArc, we, I think we all know at this point what happens when you go to these avant-garde schools. It's just another lesson in creativity. They asked me like, oh, weren't you, you know, you're interested in the bulb of shape, you know, the form function, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, actually, I think the most important skill Sire taught me is how to swim better. Through life, you develop a bunch of street smarts and all these other things in your education. It helps you with book smart. But if you can't synchronize those in a way that they have where they edify each other and it helps you send who and what you are, then you come, you become stagnant in many ways. And so... For me, it's never been about architecture. It's always been about how can I grow creatively? And Syrac was instrumental in that, but it, it wasn't easy, right? Even as a two-term president of the student union at Syrac, I still was in danger of not graduating because I didn't have the finances necessary to get through Syrac. So my thesis year, I was actually in jeopardy of not graduating. So my last semester, I was brought into the council's office. You can present your thesis, we'll accept it, but you can't graduate square one, right? And so, again, it forced me to flip the educational model over and investigate it, you know, for myself. And I was fortunate because all the opportunities that I had, I was focused and I was prepared in that kind of intersectionality, they call it luck, but I think it obviously is that moment where preparation and opportunity collide. And when they collide, it creates a new environment or a new way for you to understand the moment in a way that you can personally be successful, but you have to have the creative lens to, to do as much. And so I, I was fortunate 
a little known person named Tom Main stepped in and helped me. So interesting. It almost sounds like, you know, this is like a journey of designing yourself and designing your own unique life. And I think that all those obstacles, whether it had to do with, you know, the loca location or maybe even the approaches that were, you know, limiting and not diverse enough to, or inclusive enough in, in your past school, and as well as to do with being able to afford to pass exams and actually finish the school. All of those obstacles, so to speak, were there to shape and form that journey and that beautiful journey we call life. And it, sound, it sounds to me like you've been very ambitious through it too, you know, from working on your body through, through also having ambitious goals to, you know, SciArc is not just any school of architecture. So that's really mm -hmm. all great. And it's awesome to, to see that everything is possible when you have that determination. And as you say, being able to readily observe a situation that life put, puts for in front of us and be like, okay, this is maybe a combination of lack and opportunity, but I'm ready to step through it. I think a lot of people also approach a lot of times this kind of situations with a bit of fear. So what is the number one biggest thing that you've learned through all of this? I think the number one thing that I've learned is that you just have to be comfortable uncomfortable in many ways, right? I think, you know, through creative expression, you deal with life as a certain amount of forces that come into play. And much like architecture or the creative kind of way of dealing with life, it's really about shaping and molding and situating or choreographing these forces, right? And so the same can be true in the built environment as it can be for oneself, right? You really start to deal in a mastery of kind of matter in that way, right? Architecturally, it's inert matter, but it, in conceptually, you're dealing with the forces of life, right? And those forces are, are relatively similar. They're political, they're finance, economical, blah, blah, blah. So you get the list, but they're very parallel. And those who can use their lived experience to, to make sense of things that are written about typically are the people who really have a real firm grasp on what it is they need to do to be successful. And I think success looks different for every person. I think we shouldn't measure success based on what we see other people doing on Instagram or all these other things, because you'll just be in a hyper-depressed state because nobody can keep up with the taxonomy of accomplishments of everyone that you know. But you know, we, we still suffer from that at times, right? But I think, it's, I think it's really fascinating. Architecture Talk Tank is sponsored by the good people at Integrated Projects, a team of architects and technologists focus on the digitalization of the built environment. Did you know that there are more existing buildings in this world than websites? Yet only 0.0001% have been digitized. In response to this, the Integrated Projects team launched BIMIT to digitize any space imaginable. Offices, homes, mechanical spaces, you name it. Now any architect, engineers or reality capture specialists can convert their 3D scan into LOD 200 BIM just in hours, not weeks or months. Why does this matter? Well, now we can accurately view, verify and quantify the spaces that we design, build and operate. To learn more about BIMID, visit www.integrated-projects.com forward slash Colada. And to be fair, you know, even through grad school, 
it was the same kind of journey and obstacles, right? I, you know, I was bought on in my time and help him with the 100 Buildings book, which I'm forever grateful for. And I worked through a fellowship with him to A, get out of SciArc, but B, go through grad school. And I can just working with him and understanding the lens of architecture through his gaze was really interesting to me because while we're totally different and I'm not interested or ever will be in that Starkitect level, it's really interesting to see how much overlap on how you understand the world you exist in and, you know, right? Like understanding self. But back to my point, because there's obviously a digression, is that I almost didn't graduate UCLA either with my graduate degree. There was, I got in late because of the kind of tension at SciArc that, that really set me back. And I almost ran the risk of A, not being able to accept my fellowship, but B, not graduating. And so that's when I got into teaching because they said, okay, clearly you don't need the last bit of coursework will allow you to teach as a way to remedy that. And so that's how I got into teaching. And so it was another door that was shutting that, that found itself being an opportunity for me to enter the classroom in a way that I could never dream possible, right? Especially at a, a kind of university at UCLA, right? So, and to wrap it all up, I've went through, let's say it's been 10 years of like architectural study, not including high school, which is an extra four, so we'll call it 14. And I've never been taught by someone with the same skin tone from my culture or anything like that. It was non-existent. I mean, who goes a decade without being in a space with someone who looks like them? I will say in my entire journey, I may have been in a classroom with maybe three or four other people who identify as Black or African-American. It's a long time to go and study without seeing someone who looks like you. And so it's become my personal why to make sure that I'm in the classroom and available and accessible to people, you know, because I think it's important, right? There's been a an erasure, right, so to speak, of, you know, the black and brown experience in architecture. And I'm not trying to undo it by myself, but I'm just trying to use my life as a kind of platform of either what to do or what not to do. I don't want to be in the middle where people are, eh, maybe I want to be, don't do that or do that, right? I want to be either or. Exactly. And I think it's important for also the world that we're creating for the future, for our future generations to show more inclusivity and basically diversity everywhere, also in the work environment. Gensler is a very inclusive. I know that they talk a lot about this. Are you finding yourself there? How, tell me a little bit about the experience of working for them. Sure. You know, I think many of the kind of viewers are keenly aware of Gensler. The kind of, you know, one firm firm mentality, power of design, the 6,000 person firm that, that stretches 50 offices and, you know, many different regions. But I'd like to take it apart slightly because I think we forget because we're, you know, the largest architecture firm, they forget that the individual, the like-minded individual or the individual that has similar whys and interests create a larger body, so part to hold in that way. And so people understand us as this kind of force and commercial architects and so forth, but they're like-minded individuals, even in these kind of smaller studios that we we work. And, I'll, and to give you a, a kind of anecdotal story about that is, I work on a team of five or six individuals whose whole kind of mission is really about thinking about the problems of the day. For us in Los Angeles, people experiencing homelessness. Yeah. 
and also communities that deal in inequity. And so the my time at Gensler has quite literally been about dealing in kind of permanent supportive housing, teen centers. As you can see on my shirt, art gallery, we just did the first kind of Black-owned art gallery by, you know, by Gensler in South Los Angeles. You know, it's been one of those kind of labors of love because it, it allows me to use my creativity in ways that I never really imagined possible. And, you know, we're working on not just that, but we're working on a new kind of project led by Wayne Thomas, a Debbie Allen Dance Academy. So you can see how my life is becoming this full circle thing, right? Yeah. I started da- I started dancing and now I get to work on, you know, a performing yeah. arts center. It's, it's cyclical in nature. You just have to be available. Yeah, and also in a beautiful way, how it also comes with giving back to the community and the projects that you're involved with in LA right now sounds amazing. I'm really into humanitarian architecture, so that kind of element of working with with communities that face other, like I would call real life problems, you know, because a lot of times when architecture comes to a private project, we're, yeah, of course we're problem solving, but these problems are first world problems right if you you compare that to to yeah dealing with humanitarian sector and it's very rewarding just to see a smile on the face or a life changed by like uh, implementation of these projects and knowing that you you had a role at it as well it's rewarding so that's really beautiful and and i think that you know it's just a great journey to see you also work at gensler now Tell me a little bit about the urban projects that you've been doing. I've seen your portfolio and they look very environmental, very sustainable. So they definitely have a lot of elements of this respect to nature and sustainability there as well. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. And I think so, so a lot of my projects have been just that, right? It's really think it's like rethinking and it's really critical work. And not critical as in necessary, critical as in I'm commenting on things. So when you see, you know, for instance, I've created one and it looks like this giant park, but under it is this, you know, massive infrastructure. And it's because there's a place in the world that said, oh, we need more parks. But the city's programming is a park, right? And they have the kind of illustrative plan for how they do that. They've had a tremendous kind of tree planting kind of strategy, so on and so forth. But it used to deal with, the the kind of like the reality of you know infrastructure that's necessary to make the city self-sufficient or reliant in that way and so when they said oh we need another park it was me being slightly on the nose about it it was like here's a park, right but i'm hiding everything under it right and so in in many ways i'm talking about kind of the infrastructure becoming the stage right the historically back of house mechanisms that we need to sustain ourselves in cities and regions i'm giving it the kind of the red carpet i'm presenting it as the front of house in many ways because as the kind of street edge i'm i want people to see 100 percent what's actually happening and they're all sustainable technologies that that kind of help the city meet its its larger goals in terms of climate you know resilience and so on and so forth but it, it's me poking fun at the fact that there was a consensus like oh we need another park and it's you you actually are shipping in enough water to you know bankroll cities around you I need, we need to be aware of the kind of impact we're having, the carbon emissions, just the truck services to and from your city. Like we can house these things here, we can do it in a really smart way, but we need another park is not the answer. 
real problem. So I was being on the nose about some of the things. Some of the things were really just about there's a project that we created with Tom Main, and it was the South Sea Pearl project that there was a larger and I created an X. And because I, I was really commenting on the absurdity of needing a you know an island in the middle of the ocean with all this <laughs> undeveloped land just you know miles to the east of the project and so it was just kind of x marks the spot it was me being funny and so on and so forth and people really took a liking to it because i really thought about it architecturally i thought about how do you deal with sustainability and efficiency at a kind of high level in terms of the, this course of architecture but i like to be playful i'm serious most of the times but when i'm not i'm really playful so I think that had to show through. That was trying to show through in my work. I just think it's interesting to to keep it really intentional, but at the end of the day, you gotta laugh at yourself. Like you can't take yourself too serious because when people take the things that you're really serious away from you, what do you really got? This episode of Architecture Talk Tank is brought to you by the MGS Global Group, a team that provides on-demand CAD and BIM drafting, as well as renderings for architecture firms. In today's environment, with everyone experiencing a surge in projects and staffing challenges, MGS Global can deliver your drawings on time and within your budget. So why work with MGS Global? Their customer service is exceptional and they provide quality for value. They have completed over 5,000 projects worldwide, a testament to their work. Now you can focus on design and let MGS do the rest. Check them out at www.mgsglobalgroup.com. Absolutely. And I think it's really important as well to express that notion of concept behind architecture. You know, like practical approaches to architecture are important. But it's when we are when we have that freedom to play around with at the intersection of almost the, you know, the unimaginary or making a joke at something when we can show the absurdity of situations and architecture can really question those approaches very well to urban planning to the way that we actually use resources or how we design for people and also the absurdity of where we want to place projects when as you say there's a lot of land available for it but i like the way you approach it and the project looks amazing thank really you. good thank really you good. No, I, look i like I can, I can be as serious as the next person, right? Like I, it, you know, in the classroom, I joke, but I'm very serious about the education because I recognize that I am in service, right? Like I, I don't take education as something that's a responsibility for me to do. I think of it as a service, as a craft, as a skill, as a muscle that you have to consistently work to be good at. But I also think it, it only has as much value as you put in. I think teaching should be it should be an outpouring of yourself. It shouldn't be something that, oh, I'm gaining this and I, I can archive it. Like I'm less interested in that and I'm more interested in pouring myself because here's the reality. I went through architecture school 15 years and have never seen anyone like me. The reality is because I teach at you know, a university that half the schools are international, they may never see another person that looks like me. So it's important. I represent the fullness of what I can be in their lives in the classroom. And so what I, class is structured around GIS. And so it really is just a kind of different way of looking at, you know, architecture. So we 
go through these exercises where we, you know, in, in a kind of architectural framework, you know, because it's a master's course, we still use the architectural lens, but we use GIS as a way, you know, start to introduce multidiscipline ways of thinking about the world and start to introduce forces and start to look at what that means. And so the data sets, when you like graphically present them, they start to give place and they start to make it more of a reality. And it's easier for people to consume, not just the students in the class, but cities, you know, municipalities, constituent groups, communities. We want to make the data accessible. And so this is emphasizing how do you inform decisions smartly, you know, in a, in a kind of just way, right? by using the tools that you're given. And so it's an introduction to GIS in many ways, but it's really using the data that exists. Like we're not creating data sets from scratch. It would take a much longer like repetition and coursework to be able to do as much, but the data, you know, use it, you know, make better, smarter, and, you know, be in service to the data itself and the communities that the data represents. So far and so often, it, it, you know, this data is extractive in nature. We need a way to be cyclical. We need it to be intergenerational. We need to allow the community to be stewards of said information. And how do we do that? It's representing this information and really educating it. Because the co-creative model is the model that is, you know, it's a necessity on the path forward, especially if we talk about design, equity, justice, so on and so forth. I think it's mentally important and on the path forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also to to keep talking and opening these conversations, you know, in the process so that people that don't see this as an obvious can educate themselves as well, because it's, it's important to promote basically more inclusive approaches to design as well as to the whole experience of actually learning and even becoming an architect. That's why more and more topics are covered right now in architecture on this to just raise awareness, I think. And it's great that you're doing it and you're committed your work as well to helping the future generations to realize that. And that's great. So it sounds to me like you're a great designer of your own life and your own path that you're on. So what's next for you? I think what's next is really doubling down on the idea of really being in service to the community. As of late, I've been doing research into kind of a co-creative model where there are mechanisms of reach that create a cyclical conversation between myself and the community and Gensler in the community that's not predicated on the project. I think one of the biggest problems that we have in architecture is we only come to the community when there's a project or we're only, we only exist and start trying to think about the issues of the day if there's a project to speak of. But I'm interested in being there and starting to build this, this nuanced conversation because they're going to be uncomfortable. They're going to be, you know, but that's okay. It's you want to be in the space where you empty yourself out so you can be filled. You don't want to walk into the space. Oh, I know it. You don't. Like, and the reality is, if you walk into a black or brown community and you think that you have the ability to make them more resilient than they already have been through the past four or five hundred years, incorrect. But we're talking about people who have been kidnapped, stolen, put on boats, died. People have murdered them. You know, been murdered. They've been hung, lynched. We can go through the taxonomy of history of, you know, the mistreatment of the black and brown body and, you know, in, in the United States and globally. The reality is you're not going to find a stronger, more resilient people group, right? That's not actually possible in this moment. And especially, I think many people have seen kind of the news and the kind of mistreatment and the kind of murder of the black and brown bodies. Just yesterday, we lost Dante Wright and, you know, and, and police brutality. So we're constantly 
fighting to, to be resilient, to be present, to be available, to be accessible, to educate ourselves and to move forward. And look, we love our country, we love our people, we love our kind of global, you know, citizenship that we, we share with everyone in the world. The only thing we're really asking for is that our country love us back, right? It's really difficult to be in love with someone who doesn't love with, aren't in love with you, but that's what we're continually asked to do. And we're continuing to ask to put our hard hat on and show up to work and do our nine to fives in service to others while we're hurting and we're experiencing this trauma. And so architecturally, I'm really interested in co-creation and being in service because that availability means everything to me. It means everything to them to know that, look, I, I don't just sit in, you know, Gensler. I've been heard it called the ivory tower from people in the community. And it's like, well, fine, then I'll put my desk in your office. Let's figure this out together. I'm not interested in doing this for you. You know, I tell people to think of me as a kind of graphic stenographer. I want to make physical the communal voice. I'm not interested in my own voice being told. I had that time in architecture, my thesis, you know, the, you know, the books that I've helped create, so on and so forth. I've had my time. This is your time. Help me help you. Think of me as a tool in the tool, right? Think of me as, you know, the hammer or think of me as the wrench. Don't think of me as the hammer wrench, you know, element. Don't think of me of all those things. Think of me as one unique tool in your toolbox that you can use to create. And that's what this gallery is about. It's a gallery owned by a Compton native. And I think some in this country, roughly 1.2% of art is in fine in the fine art space. And so we created this gallery to create education, access, vocational programming, so on and so forth. It's really starting to catch fire in this region. And, and it's because, you know, it was about the chronology of memory and advocacy and art that's always the lens of storytelling through, you know, through our kind of counterparts and our peers to really help educate the community on themselves and what our path forward is and where we are in terms of, you know, the climate of the day. Creating spaces that are measures, like that are memorialized and, you know, store our consciousness are essential. And so teen centers are one of those things, performing arts centers are one of those things, art galleries are one of those things. It's really just about, you know, creating a taxonomy of cultural relics that tell our stories and inspire us to, to go beyond where we are currently. Yeah, and I really admire the resilience there because I think that, you know, all the situation calls sometimes for just feeling angry, you know, for pure anger to come out of a human being. And, and at that stage, all you want to do is rage and not be involved and not be proactive. And I completely understand that I feel angry and, and yet I'm not targeted or experiencing it. So I think that, like, I really always admire this strength really in in going forward and fighting for this in the fight that is proactive that is community oriented that takes the stand in in all the right things and also shines through experience and the way it's walked so that it can actually be a testimony you know to a better character that is not ego driven that is not a character that you know that basically nourishes differences but rather similarities amongst people and I love the fact that you express yourself in all these projects and also collaborate on a grassroots level with communities, not only providing housing for disadvantaged communities in LA, but also through all these different art projects. And it's indeed really beautiful how life comes around in respect of expression and art scene, the dance scene as well. And I'm really curious to see 
what's next for you as well and just follow your career because it's really beautiful and inspiring and th thank you so much for yeah. coming coming on this podcast to share that story with me. yeah absolutely i'm i'm happy to do as as much and i think one thing that if i had a closing kind of thought it would be my story is not unique this yeah. this story happens to everyone who looks like me to some degree and i think you know it's important to to recognize the shoulders in which i stand on because while I may have had it hard, my sense is that their journey was harder than mine. The world wasn't as accepting of, you know, different races and creeds and religions. And, so, and I think, you know, I just have to be a strong set of shoulders. You know, the next generation can stand on mine and it'll be intergenerational. And once we can establish that intergenerational link, we can grow pipelines and so on and so forth. And numbers will be much more representative of the creativity that exists in the world. You can't Absolutely. paint with all the colors if you don't have a brush to paint with, right? Like, True. Absolutely. Thank you so much, really, yeah. for joining and sharing all this beautiful story with us. Happy to. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you guys also for tuning in. We'll see you soon. Architecture Talk Tank has its own frequency. We're not a regular podcast, but we are here for you. Always. If you have a suggestion for a guest or have a story that others in this community can benefit from, please contact me via social media or email me directly at me at saracolada.com. To sign up for my newsletter, simply go to the website saracolada.com. I am on Instagram, YouTube and LinkedIn. You can find me by typing my name, Sarah Colada. Come say hi. I'm always excited when you reach out. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.